we bring complex and difficult topics into our church. It's the nature of our church and the DNA of Unitarian Universalism. Today is not unusual as we discuss matters of life and death and social justice. We tease out how they are entwined today in the areas of human reproduction. We will talk about abortion, yet a critical point of this sermon is clarifying how this medical procedure and natural procedure gets all the attention while it's only a fraction of the tightly knotted factors in reproductive justice. Yesterday, I joined Hope members and hundreds of Tulsans attending workshops on the intersection of topics at the heart of reproductive justice. And a key speaker you'll be hearing more about is Dr. Willie Parker. And while I wrote this sermon before meeting him, his wisdom, his science, and convictions are now a dividing line in my own understanding of life, of birth. His influence is strong and deep as I reworked my words. Stories of his transformation are life-changing for anyone exposed to him. He was born into abject poverty, yet became Harvard-educated, and he evolved from a successful OBGYN, obstetrician, specialist, in the Chicago area with a strong Christian faith. And his religious beliefs originally kept him from performing abortions for years. The steady stream of women with reproductive issues in his practice focused his mind. He thought about his mother and sisters and the grandmother who died in childbirth and began to read widely in the literature of civil rights and feminism. And eventually, he came across the concept of reproductive justice developed by black feminists who argued that the best way to raise women out of poverty is to give them control of their reproductive decisions. Finally, he had, although he was born again, he had his second come to Jesus moment and the bells rang. This would be his this would be his civil rights struggle. He would serve women in their darkest moment of need. He likes to say, the protesters say they're opposed to abortion because they're Christian. Parker says, it's hard for them to accept that I do abortions because I'm Christian. He gave up obstetrics 
obstetrics to become a full-time abortionist on the very day that George Tiller was murdered in church. Before going further, I want to make clear reproduction is not just a women's issue. It takes two to tango. I trust how families are created and thrive is as much a concern to men as women. We are talking about human issues solidly wrapped within biology and culture and institutions and policy and more. Men are included, necessary, vital in this conversation. But they must yield. They have to step back from their centuries of power and control. So let's start with the term reproductive justice. It's relatively new. The history of the expression ropes in civil and human rights struggles. And reproductive justice is a phrase meant to gather the totality of creation instead of solely discussing human fertility as a choice. Pro-choice or pro-life as opposing moral and ethical positions have become meaningless. Who here is not pro-life? I'd wager 100% of you join me in supporting the advancement of all human life. So how could someone say they're pro-life and at the same time insist it is a moral and ethical stance to ensure safe, legal abortions to all women. Excuse me. It is possible to call yourself pro-life and believe abortions need to be legal because the conditions and contexts of human reproduction can't be distilled into simplistic black and white dualities. And we dive into this because we are part of a religious tradition insisting upon embracing nuances and gradations in reality. We are a church community who values justice for all, and the inherent worth and dignity of all. And for those thinking a potential life has full worth, independent worth, I'd rather say, independent worth, we'll come to that. If that's in your mind bothering you. As you well know, it takes two living single cells, the distinct Gametes, the alive unicellular sperm and egg, to merge into a zygote. With DNA from each cell now yoked together, and yolk is what a zygote, that's what the word means, a new single-celled organism is formed. So we walk through Biology 101 to zero in on this very brief moment in time. You know, imagine the Discover card commercials 
You've probably seen them where a woman is walking down a busy street and she realizes her credit card is missing and she opens up the app on her phone and pushes a button to freeze the account and everything else in the scene freezes too. As we watch her walk back through her evening, dodging people on the street, stopped mid-stride, mid-sentence, and she goes back to the restaurant where she paid for her meal and retrieves her forgotten card sticking out of the bill folder. We'll use that same imaginary technique to stop our story in mid-action of the possible events leading up to our particular zygote. We'll freeze this moment for this one fertilized cell to look into its history. It wouldn't begin dividing for the next 24 to 30 hours anyway, so we can take some time to trace back to the factors leading up to its conception. First, I'd like to imagine the coupling leading to our zygote comes from two people who are in love. They're mature enough to understand what could become the fruits of their passion. The mother is old enough to bring safely a pregnancy to term. This couple has the smarts and the emotional intelligence, community and family support and resources to care for the baby or babies. There's no current debilitating addiction, abuse, on either side of the family. The zygote is not emerging from alcohol, marijuana, tobacco, opiate, or other chemical abuse. Both the egg and the sperm could have been affected by any wash of these unhealthy substances. This couple's relationship is stable. If recent students, for the purpose of our imagination, they're not working themselves out of student loan debt. And for the record, the current U.S. average is $28,000 per borrower. Since this is frozen moment, we trust they'll remain a couple, so they won't have almost $58,000 in debt. They're not living in a war zone, refugee camp, or in poverty, but in a reasonable neighborhood and a comfortable, safe house. This ever-so-important history of this potential life, potential life, matters. This intersecting array of human dynamics all these factors is why reproductive justice has, re has replaced the terms pro-life and pro-choice. We cannot isolate pregnancy, abortion, birth, or even adoption from any of life's other social justice issues. It's all entwined. So the need for a more comprehensive term arose from organizations of women of color, from Native American, African American, Latina, and Asian American communities. They correctly point out 
The word choice implies that every citizen has access to health care. Women's health care is as unequally striated as all other social, economic, and cultural systems. The use of the word choice underwrites the conservative idea that the personal is separate from the political and that the larger social structure has no impact on or responsibility for private individual choice. Allow the rightfully indignant reporter, Miriam Perez, to set us straight, as she did mainstream media, in her An Open Letter to the New York Times, Race and the Reproductive Rights Movement. Women of color have long been pushing the women's rights movement to be more inclusive of the issues that affect our communities, The diverse array of issues includes things like access to abortion, but also access to transportation, job security, housing, birth control, immigration, voting rights, and the list goes on. Rejecting the pro-choice label is just one outcome of this long struggle to build a movement that has a wide enough lens to truly have a shot at improving lives in our communities. The pro-choice frame no longer works for us because many people in our communities never really had a choice. The legal right to an abortion doesn't mean much if you have no way to get to the clinic in your area or more likely There isn't one. A legal right to an abortion doesn't mean much if you don't have the means to pay for it. A legal right to an abortion doesn't mean much if your immigration status makes you afraid to leave the house. There's little choice for the women in those scenarios, and so a movement galvanized around choice falls way, way short. You may be uncomfortable with the underlying assumptions of that quote and this sermon emphatically calling for abortions to be legal. I ask you to open your mind and heart for just a few more minutes. Some of you may be grieving this topic since by the time women are 45, one out of three have had an abortion. Our covenant is to listen deeply to each other. I'm asking this of you now. Together, let's take a deep breath to continue making space in our opinions for other facts and perspectives. Before we go on, 
It is right to tell you my experiences. I have not had an abortion. Not because I was smart or chaste or perfect. Joe and I raised two children in almost the idyllic scenario of our still-frozen zygote. It is because I am a mother, have a deeply involved spouse, and luckily managed to raise two children to adulthood that I'm discussing reproductive rights. It is because I know how damned hard it is, even with the wind at our backs, to raise a healthy, educated child in this current world. It is because I've witnessed friends and family and neighbors and even strangers struggle as parents who were not so fortunate that I believe with every inch of my humanity, reproductive justice is critical. Let's return to our frozen-in-time unicelled zygote and imagine other scenarios leading up to its formation that are equally as plausible, maybe even more plausible than our first one. Statistics and stories speak to less than ideal, even horrific circumstances. Our zygote could have been the result of contraceptive failure. No birth control method is 100% effective. In the case of a story recently shared with me, a woman was told by her doctor she was infertile and could never conceive. She said he was wrong, (laughs) very wrong. Our zygote could be the result of joyous, impatient, alcohol, uninhibited, unintentional passion. Or, Our zygote could be the result of darker forces, rape, incest, or deliberately drugged stupor. The zygote could have come about from an immature desire for love, belonging, escape, or change. It could result from a desperate woman being a virtual slave, needing an income source, or controlled by a violent boyfriend or pimp. I heard so many hair-raising stories when I taught in Tulsa's jail. It is too easy to judge the woman carrying the zygote. Our culture's rhetoric is not sympathetic when a woman says, I'm in a bad situation, and I just can't have my baby right now. It's just a bad time. I'm trying to stay in college, get my degree. My boyfriend dumped me. My parents are uber conservative. I had to drive seven hours to get to this clinic. Friday night, this past Friday night, at a gathering when someone asked Dr. Parker if there's an abortion he considers seminal in his career. And he says, yes. 
And as he begins to speak, the room becomes hushed as he describes the 12-year-old patient who is 23 weeks pregnant. Her parents have come with her. She seems very mature, calm, stoic even. As always, Dr. Parker spends time alone with her. He makes sure no one is coercing any patient into the procedure. As they talk, she begins to feel safe enough to say she's pregnant by her father, who's been sexually abusing her for years. Dr. Parker is obligated by law to report the father. And so you know, ministers are required by law too. And the mother didn't know. So Dr. Parker explains how he channels his rage at the father for robbing his daughter of her childhood and for completely failing his duties as a parent. He channels his anger into increasing clarity about his practice. He is addressing the patient, the whole human being in front of him, ministering to her. Returning to our zygote, it is not viable without the mother. They are one. And just so you know, over 50% of the fertilized cells never implant to develop further. And chasing after the exact moment the dividing and differentiating cells become a living human misses a critical point. Both the egg and sperm were alive before they joined. Life is a continuum, a never-ending continuum. Drawing a line in the sand and attempting to pinpoint exactly when life begins within the womb and basing all action on this impossible-to-pinpoint moment and not-complete story is counter to our Unitarian Universalist trust in science in biology and in the intelligence and decision-making of the individual, of the woman. Our trust of her to seek her truth in love. In answer to several of you who have asked how this sermon and topic can sit alongside preaching that black lives matter, all lives matter, bees matter. I repeat what I claimed in those sermons and elsewhere in our ministry together. We must hold ambiguity and dissonance together. Reality is complicated. A woman is part of the ongoing life process. She's an independent an independent creature, a moral being with her own agency. 
A zygote is not. It's potential. A baby becomes a distinct human only when born. Before that point, the zygote, then the fetus, is integral to the woman. It carries the hope for a new life, yet it is not an independent new life. We cannot cast aside a woman, a fully formed person, in an ideological move to elevate our zygote or fetus over her. We must trust each woman as a person capable of weighing all the factors in her life and foreseeable future to make her own decision. The need for abortion is odious. No woman wants an abortion, although it can bring great relief. There will never come a time in human history where the abortion rate is zero. No matter the religious teachings or public policy. Adoptions can never successfully interrupt fully the need for abortions. That myth is an idealization, a dream. What we must do is work for reproductive justice in its biggest sense of the word to bring abortion levels to their irreducible minimum. We must fight to change all the social wrongs across racial, economic, and social lines that make abortions necessary, shameful, and dangerous. May we do so. We give away our plate.